Please turn with me in your book, in your Bibles, to the book of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 6. Today we'll read through the entirety of the Lord's Prayer, which will be verses 9 through uh, 15. Uh, but we will focus mainly on that second or that middle line in verse nine, our father in heaven. Hear the word of the Lord. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for these for this teaching that your Son gave to his disciples. And as Matthew and also Luke wrote this down, Uh, That has come to us a reminder of how we are to pray as we consider this petition today, this opening to the Lord's prayer, our father in heaven, open our eyes to see the glories in this opening, to see the glories in this call and change our hearts so that we might see and that we might leave this place praying in a way. That honors and glorifies you. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones says that prayer is probably the most difficult, the hardest part of the Christian life. A recent uh, survey came out showing that the vast majority of Christians spend less than 10 minutes in prayer. For some people, that's a day. For some people, that's a week. It is something that we struggle with, and it's something that the disciples struggled with as well. In Luke's account of Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer, it's not given in the large group context of the Sermon in the Mount. It's given in the context of that group of disciples with Jesus. And they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. How do we pray? And, and there's a shortened version of this particular prayer there in Luke chapter 11 And Jesus probably gave this teaching twice. And that's comforting to me because the disciples more than likely heard it at the first time it was taught. And yet they needed to hear it again. So Jesus taught it to them again. And just like the Lord's prayer is given to the disciples to help them to pray, the Lord's prayer is given to us to help us to pray. And we use it in two ways. We can use it in a prayer in and of itself. We're told in the book of Romans, Paul says that the Holy Spirit will take our inner groanings when we don't know how to pray and translate them to God. One of the ways that we can do that when we just don't know how to pray, when we're just groaning inside, reaching out to God, not sure exactly how to call out to him. We can use the Lord's prayer as a prayer for that. But the other way and the way we're going to look at it over the next several weeks is that this is a framework for prayer. This is the skeleton which our prayers can put the flesh on it. It gives us the high points that we should hit in our prayers as we go through. And so as we study today, we are going to study the opening. We are going to study these 
uh, words that in the New International Version are short words. Our Father in heaven. And as we look today, we're going to see that prayer begins with moving the focus off ourselves by taking these in three separate categories. The pronoun our, the word father, and the descriptor in heaven. First, the pronoun our. Now, while we see and we will see in a few moments that the main focus of our prayer should be on God, we need to take focus on this little three letter word that begins the Lord's prayer. It parallels other short pronouns within the prayer. Verse 11, give us our daily bread, forgive us as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You'll notice the first person pronouns in this prayer are all plural. It reminds us that prayer is not merely an individual event. It's not merely an individual focus, but it's a community activity. Those who are gathered by God, those who are called into the presence of God, who are saved by Jesus Christ, are saved as individuals, but are placed in a community of believers. It's not accidental here that Jesus begins and Matthew records for us that this is a plural endeavor, that this is a community endeavor. The call to ceaseless prayer in First Thessalonians 5 is a call given to the church. Oftentimes you and I fail as individuals every time you and I fail as individuals to pray without ceasing. And yet God has placed us in a community of people who should be praying in such a way that the church fulfills that command to pray without ceasing. We are reminded in this paragraph, in this pronoun, that we are not alone and our focus of our prayers are not only on ourselves. How many times have I been sitting there praying? And I get to the end of my prayers and I realize I've just given God a laundry list of what I need, of what I want. I've not considered the greater body of his church. The Lord's Prayer, this opening of the Lord's Prayer, this repetition of these plural pronouns reminds us that it's not just me that that I should pray for, but I should pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ for their needs, for their health needs. For their spiritual needs, for their family needs, for their emotional needs. I should pray that my brothers and sisters in Christ, as they go through their struggles, be drawn into a deeper relationship with God. I should pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that they will grow in their faith and in knowledge of God. We are saved as individuals, brothers and sisters, but we are placed into a community or dare I say a communion of fellow men and women who have been reconciled to God as well. And our prayers should reflect this. But we don't just pray our, we pray our Father. And while our reminds us who we pray with, our Father reminds us who we pray to. Father should remind us of that title from Isaiah, Emmanuel, God with us. God who is in heaven, and we will cover that here in a few moments, but God who is in heaven is intimately close to us. God is a God who is with his people. We saw this writ large 
in his son who tabernacled with us, who dwelt among his people. But we know by the work of the spirit that is given by God that he is with us constantly. He is the God who is imminent with his people. He is the God who is intimate with his people. But father doesn't only remind us of his closeness. It reminds us of the gospel. Prayer is an exclusive privilege of those who are saved by or through faith with God. Now, some people look at Paul's speech in Athens in Acts 17 and where Paul says that God is the father of all creation. And they say, well, prayer is for everybody. And there's a sense in which, yes, God is the father of all creation. He created all things. He created all humans. And in that sense, he is the father and he gives fatherly love through his common grace. He restrains sin in individuals. We're nowhere near as sinful as we could be. He lets the rain fall upon the righteous and upon the wicked. He lets the sun shine upon the righteous and upon the wicked. And so there is a sense in which he shares his fatherly love with all of creation. But brothers and sisters, we call him father because we are adopted as sons. Paul said in Galatians three and four, the passage we read earlier that we walk through life as slaves to sin. And yet God opens up the floodgates of his grace and makes us sons. Now, I know for probably about half of us in this congregation, the the term being called a son feels a little odd. But bear with me here for a few moments and you'll see the importance of it. In Paul's time, being the son of the head of the household brought with it certain privileges. And these privileges, two of which we'll look at today, are inheritance and access. The son had open access to the father of the house in ways many times that wives and daughters did not. The the sons had access to the father's teaching. The sons had access to the father's presence. The sons had access to the father. And as sons, we have access to the throne of God. Why do we pray? Because through the work of Jesus, we have been made sons of the living God. We have the opportunity to approach his throne in ways that slaves to sin do not. We call God our father because we have access to him through the work of Jesus. But not only do we have access, we have an inheritance. The one who is adopted can expect something from the father. The father will give the one who is his son something. And what is the inheritance that we have? In Paul's parallel passage in Romans 8 on the adoption as sons, our inheritance is a future glory. A future glory that will fill us to such an extent that it will overflow to creation. The creation which awaits with anxious anticipation the redemption and the glorification of humanity so that it too might be redeemed, so that it too might be set right. The inheritance that we have is the inheritance that Jesus has had, and the Holy Spirit is the seal for that inheritance. 
We are adopted as the children of God. An adoption that J.I. Packer says is the highest privilege of the gospel. The privilege is this, that the traitor is taken in and forgiven. The traitor is brought in for supper and given the family name. We now have access to God. We now have inheritance from the father and the God who gives us access, the God who gives us an inheritance, the God who is close to us is the God to whom we pray. Now, in the ancient Near East, father was not merely the head of the household. The term father could be used for men of importance. Was used typically for the king along with shepherd. The father was somebody who had power. Who had authority. And who, in many cases, especially if the father was the king, was separated from the people. And that reminds us that we don't just pray to a father. We pray to our father who is in heaven. Psalm 104, the first four verses highlights this fact, as do many other psalms. Psalm 104, beginning in verse one, praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servant. He is not only our father, he is our father in heaven. And this sets our attitude in prayer. You know, I was a cocky teenager at one point. I got over it about two years ago. And I had a tendency at times to approach my father in that cocky teenager kind of a way. My father was quick to make sure that didn't happen too often. But every now and then I would approach my father knowing what was best for me. And if I was honest with him, best for him as well. And oftentimes that's how we approach our heavenly father, is it not? All right, God, it's time for you to show up. This is what I need. Thanks. We come to God oftentimes with a flippant attitude. That's what was referenced a little bit in those verses five through eight that we looked at last week. That idea that we stand here and either proclaim our glory before the masses or use prayers like this to try and obligate God into giving us what we want. When we say our father in heaven, it reminds us that this is the king upon his throne. That that vision in Ezekiel with the with the wheels is this Throne room platform, God's throne seated upon this platform that resides above the heavens and can go wherever it pleases. The picture in Isaiah six is Isaiah going into the presence of his heavenly father and falling flat on his face, confronted by the glory and the greatness of God. He had to be redeemed by the coal from the altar in order to stay in God's presence without being obliterated. And we are only able to enter the presence of our father in heaven. 
Because Jesus has presented and provided the sacrifice that is upon that altar. So that we may not be consumed by the greatness and the glory of God. And as Jesus, before he progresses through the petitions in this prayer, he reminds us of these realities. He reminds us of the fact that we are redeemed and reconciled into a community. Our redemption and reconciliation leads us to be adopted as sons to where we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is one of those words that's taken from a different language and moved into the Greek. Doesn't have a really good, solid idea of what it means, but the closest we come to is this sense of you have this name for your father that as you move through life kind of morphs and changes. He was daddy when we were children. He's dad or papa or dada or whatever you call him as an adult. It's that picture there of this name for our father that transitions as we grow into sonship. It's an intimate name that gives that reminds us of the access that we have. And yet Jesus also reminds us that he is our father in heaven and that we are to humbly approach him in prayer. It's a reminder that how we pray shows truly what it is that we believe about God. How do you pray? How do you approach prayer? Are you like me oftentimes kind of selfish in your prayers, kind of flippant in your prayers to the God of the universe? And you take for granted the fact that we have been adopted as sons. Or do you allow this phrase, our father in heaven. To shape the words that you give to God in your prayers. Let us pray. God, change each and every one of us today. Help us to see our brothers and sisters. Help us to see their needs and to pray for them. Help us to see their hurts, their joys, and bring them to you. Remind us of the price that was given for us to be able to call you Father. And remind us as we approach you of who you are. Remind us that you are our Father in heaven and help us to humbly approach your throne. We pray all this in Jesus name. Amen.